Hello and welcome to the best is net to come. My name is Josh. I'm with Mike Rubenstein as always. And today we're going to be talking about how the Nets have clinched their playoff berth for the 2020-2021 season. They did it on Tuesday with a win against the Raptors. We're watching right now. It looks like they're going to be beating the Pacers tonight. Cross our fingers, hopefully. Um, If they don't, you can laugh at us tomorrow. But regardless, the Nets are going to be in the playoffs. Now, if you looked at this season on paper and you saw the injuries, COVID protocols, you saw guys on the team leaving for personal reasons, mid-season retirements, starters tearing ACLs in the third game of the season, you'd probably assume the season was going to go a different way. You'd probably assume this team had a lot of promise, but it was sad, unfortunate to know that they weren't going to be making any sort of splash in the playoffs because of all this. But no, here we are, playoff bound and currently first seed in the East. Mike, what are your thoughts on how this net season has gone despite all of the tribulations that they've faced? This has been a wild season, and I'm so glad that we've been doing this podcast for this season in particular. Yeah, me too. Like, if you were to go back and listen, like binge, like binge listen to all of our episodes from the, the beginning of the season, like when the season started, you would hear us be so sad to so happy to so sad over and over and over. And here we are now as the one seed with like, you know, less than 10 games left. It's insane. The talent on this team has really prevailed, and they've caught some breaks from other teams, like the Celtics sitting some guys last uh, last week. But like they've earned this. They've played really well when they've had to. They've come a long way. Uh, it looked like Harden was the savior. Like this team couldn't win without Harden, and now they've been doing that. So there was a, definitely a culture change. Yeah, leadership stepped in. I know Steve Nash and Jeff Green. Something came out with them uh, where after I think they lost to the Pistons. Jeff Green and Steve Nash like pleaded with the team to like just play harder, I think. And I think that's shown. And since that, they've been really, really good. And they haven't lost too many games that they're supposed to win. So it's been a wild ride. I hope they hold on to this one seed. I'm sure we'll be here on Tuesday saying, oh, I can't believe they lost this game. And now we're not the one seed. But no, I mean, it's been amazing. It has been absolutely amazing. And I think it's just incredible how there's been so many steps in the wrong direction for the team, things that were unforeseen, so many unforeseen problems that came up. And as a Nets fan, you and I and, and Rick as well, we know these things are going to happen because this is what happens to the Nets. You know, whenever you want the Nets to do well, they'll shoot themselves in the foot. But it seems like they have found a way to prevail despite all of those hiccups and all of those typical Nets-like debacles. And that's been just such a breath of fresh air just unreal and unbelievable for a team for this franchise uh speaking of like new fresh faces on the team that have added a spark we've talked in the past about how Alizé johnson was a welcome addition to the team and now mike james who they picked up because chose seemingly i think he's going to be out for the rest of the season he had to get surgery on his hand don't see i don't know if he's coming back also, obviously, they don't have Dinwiddie, and they needed to fill a roster spot after LaMarcus Aldridge retired. This guy, Mike James, comes in. He was playing in Russia, like, less than a month ago. He's a brand-new face of the team, but he seems to be adding some interesting wrinkle to the B team. And he even finished the game with them against the Raptors on Tuesday. He was in that final five to finish the game. Now, what are your thoughts on what he does on the court, Mike? Because I know we've noticed that he has a very unorthodox way of playing. 
Yeah, he looks, first, most importantly, he looks like a smart player. I think that's really big. When you play with other talent, you just have to be smart. Uh, he looks under control, even though sometimes he like does so, some weird moves. Um, he does look under control. He's not moving too fast. And I think that was Chioza's biggest problem. And Chioza's a young guy. We like uh, the energy he brings sometimes. And when his shot's going in, he's a good player. But he moves a little bit too fast. And maybe because he's so small, he feels like he has to as a small player. I know what that's like. So I just think Mike James has more of a controlled pace to him. And, yeah, the other day I did a double take. We were recording the pod as the end of the game's going on against the Raptors. And I'm like, this is like the end of the game. <laughs> and Mike James is the one handling the ball. Well, like, and he hit like a step back, like almost three point shot at one point, and it was just awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, he's been he's been great, and he hit, hits this like little hook shot sometimes. He's got a euro step. He's smaller than I thought he was when we first picked him up. I thought he was going to be like six six, but he's more like when I look at him, he looks like six two. I didn't actually check. I should have checked, but all right. I mean, he's we have taller to be than Chioza, but he's not tall. Like he's yeah. probably like six one or six two. Yeah. He he just looks like he knows what he's doing. He's got a very he's very confident with his game. He's not like uh, he doesn't make like kind of boneheaded plays. He mm-hmm. he really just kind of does what you're supposed to do out there. And yeah, yeah he's like um, surprisingly effective on offense. I haven't yeah. really seen I haven't really paid attention too much to what he's been doing defensively, but at least on offense, like he facilitates and can score on his own. And he's taking the opportunity to score on his own which is something that a guy who's brand new to a winning team would probably feel intimidated by doing. You know, like, when you're on a team with Kyrie and KD and, and all those other guys, like, you're probably like, gee, I, I just got here. I'm just going to try to give them the points, you know, try to get them open shots. But he, like, he's made plays all his own already, and he's, like, a week in. So that's exciting. Hopefully it doesn't come to, like, bite him in the ass, like, in a more important game, maybe in the playoffs. He, like goes ISO in, like, the fourth quarter, and everyone's like, who the fuck is this, and why does he have the ball? But right now, it's working, so good for him. All right, yeah, so we got we got Mike James. Don't have James Harden still. He's still got that injury, but we have Mike James, so that's something. One of the – some James on our team. Now, the Suns, they have officially made their first postseason in, I think, a decade or 11 years. When was the last time? I think it was 2010. I think it was – yeah, it was 09-10, I believe. Wow. Now, that's just awesome for the city of Phoenix, and it's just great for Devin Booker and his legacy in the league. This is a guy who's been putting up crazy numbers for four years now, five years, I forget how long, a couple years, but he's always just come up short because his teams couldn't get it together for the playoffs. We saw how that epic run in the bubble, how they literally were perfect, yet they still didn't make it. We knew this season was going to be interesting. We knew that they had a chance of making the playoffs. Currently, they're sitting pretty comfortably in at least one of the top three seeds in the West. Mike, talk about how this team is just such a revelation for Phoenix and also such an exciting storyline in the league. Yeah, Phoenix has been so laughably bad for so long that the current generation, like Gen Z of like TikTok and Instagram basketball fans who love to debate about stuff, they don't know the 2000 Suns the way we did. Like That was a powerhouse that just couldn't beat the Lakers and the Spurs. The Steve Nash, Amar Sotomayor, Suns was the most exciting team in basketball most years. And it's been so long. Like, 11 years is an eternity in sports. Uh, think about how bad the Browns have been lately. Um, you know, it just seems to last forever until 
finally they snap out of it. So I'm happy for the Suns. Um, they were kind of known as a bad franchise, not just a bad team, but like ownership, like was making bad mistakes that couldn't seem to hit their draft picks. But since James Jones, who was the longtime teammate of LeBron James, got there, he's been making all the right moves. DeAndre Ayton has panned out. Getting Chris Paul was huge. They've just got some solid role players with Crowder and they got Sarich and just a whole bunch of like random guys that the casual fan might not know. But when you have Chris Paul, he gets the best out of everyone. And that's what we're seeing once again. I don't like Chris Paul. I've talked about this <laughs> many times. I don't like Chris Paul, but I respect See, You've been saying that more than you say I love Bruce Brown lately. You're right. I need a new soundbite for I hate Chris <laughs> Paul. Um, but he elevates his teammates. It's it's a fact. Like you, Every team he goes to gets better. There's no denying it. Now, are they going to win a championship? Probably not. And Chris Paul will have that still on his, like, resume of not being a champion but at some point like Chris Paul's got to be recognized for the miracles he works because we all knew the Suns team was coming based on what you said in the bubble but the two seed in the west possibly the one seed I don't think we thought that we thought maybe like six or seven seed have fun like make the playoffs but now they're like you know they're in it (laughs) why not yeah I kind of saw the Suns the way that we saw the Mavs last year, where I thought they were going to come in hot and then slow down in the second half of the season. Uh, You know, and yeah, like finish like a sixth or seventh seed, get a playoff series, maybe push a a team to like, I don't know, like push the Jazz to like six games or something, but then end end up losing or something like that. But no, they came in super hot and even got hotter as the season's gone on. It feels like they're playing better basketball now than they were when the Nets played them back in February and James Harden and the B team like fucking took over and won that crazy game. At that time, you were probably a little wishy-washy in the Suns. Like, I don't know, like DeAndre Ayton, what's he doing out there? Like, he doesn't seem like he knows his place on the court. Now, Chris Paul and Devin Booker have been playing just such incredible basketball on top of the fact that a lot of their role guys are just doing what they're supposed to do that, yeah, what what do you see is, like, the ceiling for this Suns team this year? Like, a second round, maybe an Eastern, I mean, Western Conference Finals even? I think the ceiling is Western Conference Finals. I think if they, somehow how the seeding works out, obviously I, I, I can't predict it, but if the Suns are the one seed, and the Clippers remain in the 2-3, that means the Suns will avoid the Clippers in the second round. Now, the next thing, it comes down to where the Lakers fall, because if the Lakers get LeBron back, everyone expects them you know, to beat pretty much anybody. So the way this would have to work for the Suns, if the Lakers end up with the sixth seed, which they're not far from right now, they're only a game and a half ahead of the Mavericks for the sixth seed. So then the Lakers would end up playing potentially like the Clippers in the first round. If one of them knocks the other out in the first round, then the Suns have a chance to make it kind of far. I don't see the Suns beating either of those two teams in a seven-game series. They could beat the Jazz, I think. They could beat the Nuggets. Uh, Who else is in there? They could beat the Mavericks. They could beat whoever comes out of the playing tournament. I just think they're going to have trouble with the L.A. teams. Yeah. I I agree. Right now, still, we have Davis back, but LeBron is yet to return, so... The Lakers are still a huge question mark as to how they will play. Um, obviously, LeBron is the best player in the league and can turn it on whenever. So he might just come in blazing as well. And they might give the, the Nuggets uh, a headache. I believe it's going to be the Nuggets and the Lakers in the first round. Yeah. Um, and the Nuggets have been playing way better than everyone assumed 
post Jamal Murray's injury. Mm-hmm. So they're also a little bit of a question mark as to and maybe the other direction. Like maybe they're better than people think they are because Jokic is just finding way to win games. And Michael Porter Jr. shots have been going in. Uh, Facundo Campazzo is uh, essentially the role filler uh, along with Gary Harris for for Jamal Murray. And Facundo is 5'11", right? He's our height. Like he looks like one of us out there. But he is like – Kind of like a Blake Griffin. He's a nudge. He gets in players' faces. He gets steals. He gets blocks. He irritates their best player, always. And, you know, if that throws a guy's game off even a little bit, that could change the way a game works for a team. So he's a good guy to have on your team right now, especially um, since every matchup matters. Now, I was listening to a pod – actually – not sure if it was a pod or just a show called Called Game with Kenny Beecham, a uh, really interesting voice on the YouTube. And he was talking to RJ, Richard Jefferson, and he just was talking about like his life and his history with basketball. And RJ was talking about how he grew up in Arizona. He was born in like Los Angeles, but he really grew up in Arizona. And there wasn't really a basketball culture in LA, I mean in Arizona, because it's more of like a football state, I guess. But then he saw the movie White Man Can't Jump, and that, like, took his basketball, like, passion to another height, and he all of a sudden, like, that was the most important thing in his life. And it wasn't really around the age, it was around the age of 15 that he started taking basketball seriously. And I feel like nowadays, kids are finding basketball much earlier and then having to take it very serious very early. Whereas maybe in the 80s or 90s when Jefferson was playing on the courts near his house, it was like, ah, if you're like 14, 15, that's when you can start taking basketball pretty seriously. But if you're like 10, like just go play tag, go play, you know, whatever you want to play and, um, you know, try to have fun out there. You and I, we grew up in the New York area. Basketball is like ingrained in our culture just because of how important basketball is in in, in New York. Do you feel like Without even realizing it, New York and in New Jersey, to a lesser extent, really like affected the way that you see the game. That's tough to answer. Um, I think sometimes in this area with New York and New Jersey, I think we take certain stuff for granted about exposure to just anything. Um, like I wouldn't say we specialized in basketball. I think basketball was big here, but so was football and so was baseball because of the Yankees. Uh, Giants, Jets, Mets, like we have everything here. So we're not one of those places like in the South where they only care about football. And we're not, you know, Canada where we care about hockey. Like we, we get everything here. So like, I felt like growing up, we definitely didn't like have a pop Warner scene the way we had basketball and baseball. Those were definitely the two biggest sports in our town. I would say Um, basketball and baseball. Yeah, like Little League basketball, baseball, I think. And oh, soccer, okay. like soccer a little bit. But I don't think playing youth football was that big here. Like there were certainly kids that did it, but not in the way that we played basketball and baseball, unless you disagree. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that it was interesting because I was like involved in like uh, pretty competitive like travel basketball with Rick, uh-huh. actually. Yeah. And so for me, I saw that like there was a pretty huge scene for basketball I wasn't as much involved with baseball, and I didn't play any sort of organized football. Mm -hmm. Although I know that football was huge in the high school, 
Like, I know every, like, high school has their football team, but yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if it was as important as basketball. For sure, Colonia, our town, Colonia, its number one sport was basketball. Like, it was actually yeah. good at basketball when we were there. Yeah, true. So, um, I don't know. I never felt like uh, like an identity, I guess, in that sense. But I definitely, like, I was outside playing basketball after school every day just because I liked basketball. I don't know how much of that I was influenced, though, by the basketball scene. Like, I know um, in the N1 days, which is, like, yeah. almost forgotten, that was huge because we had New York was, like, really big on street ball. So, in that sense, I could see that. But we weren't trying to emulate necessarily that stuff because we just weren't that good or that athletic. Uh, I think we would have been influenced by Steph Curry for sure. Like if we had grown up now, we'd be out there chucking threes. I mean, we lay bricks every week now. But. Yeah, we lay bricks. <laughs> Whether or not Steph Curry existed, I'd be out there chucking threes. But he definitely chucked more threes if I was a kid. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't we know. had our own I, Steph I like Curry. I, we had Reggie Miller, man. You're right, we did, but it was more still when we were young. For me, it was always about the the passers, just because that's how I played. But we had oh, yeah. Jason, uh, yeah, we had guys that like if they were tall enough, they were trying to dunk like Vince Carter and Michael Jordan and stuff. So yeah, there's definitely an influence. Um, but I think again, we're kind of spoiled. I think we take it for granted just that we're exposed to so many scenes where we are. Yeah. It's interesting how in different regions of the country, basketball can be a huge important part of the culture of the city you live in or the area you live in and in other parts of the country your exposure to basketball would be like space jam or like yeah. white man can't jump yeah or like something ridiculous like that and it just it's just funny how how that works and it's interesting how there are players coming from all over the world now in the nba and everyone has a different exposure to basketball you know like Giannis, he's like living on the streets of of, of athens with his family and um, he discovers a love of basketball. And, you know, you got so many guys all over the world now just, like, playing. And they're all coming at the game from different ways, and it's it's beautiful. But it's it's kind of interesting, and it makes me wonder if this whole, like, AAU, like, play basketball from the age of five till the day you die is actually the best way to go about it. Yeah. Like, um, what are your What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think like if you had a kid, like Mike and I are both um, kidless right now, but if we had kids, <laughs> like would, if we saw that they were talented athletically, would we like try to pigeonhole them into like one sport to hope to make the best of it, or would it be better to just let them do what they want to do, and if they want to quit, they can quit, like that kind of thing? Yeah. So um, that's how I was raised was kind of look at everything, and I actually remember very clearly one day when I was signed up for Little League Baseball. Uh, I did not like it. I was like eight or nine. And there was one night where my mom was going to drop me off for baseball and take my brother to go play tennis. And I like lost it. I was like, I don't want to play baseball. I want to play tennis with you guys. And it was like eye opening for my mom. She was like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I hate baseball. So I do like the idea of obviously giving the kids a choice and experiment and see what fits. But I think there is definitely a level of coordination that comes from each sport differently. So if you pigeonhole your child into just basketball, right, they're not going to develop the same strength that you get from swinging a bat or throwing a baseball or, you know, foot coordination of soccer. Um, 
if you only let your kid play football, they're not going to learn, you know, finesse moves that they would learn in stuff like basketball. So there's definitely different skills and different coordination in each sport that I think if you let your child play at, at a young age will eventually be a benefit. Like you're not going to teach your six year old how to shoot three point shots because they're just not strong enough. So yeah. like give them a break and let them play some other things. And then I think it develops the mind too. Like, it, you know, you develop a better strategy if you can see the game through the, the lens of maybe another sport or, yeah. you know, even if you do other things like play chess or something, like maybe you start seeing games a new way. It, it can really open open the floor for you figuratively and literally. Mm-hmm. There is a really impor- uh, great book about this topic called Range by a guy named David Epstein. He used to write for Sports Illustrated. I don't know. He might, he might still do. But – Basically, he used the two examples of Tiger Woods versus Federer in the book, where Tiger Woods had been playing golf since he was like three, and he was focused on golf his whole life. And we saw what happened to Tiger Woods and the way that his life kind of worked in his very mm-hmm. stressful, tumultuous, um, you know, off-field life. Whereas he compared it to Roger Federer, who Roger Federer's life was very relaxed and laid back, and his family just let him do whatever he wanted. And he didn't start taking tennis seriously until he was like 14, 15. And then he was like, all right, I guess tennis is my thing. I think he might have been, even been 16. But he was doing like 20 different things. Like every day he had like a new club or a new sport, and he just kind of did whatever he wanted. And we all know that Federer is like the best tennis player of all time, one of the best. So it's interesting how two of the best of their sport can come at it at a completely different strategy and get similar yet very different results, I guess, on and off. Yeah, I mean, those so, are two sports that are also very technique heavy. Um, yeah. Golf, sorry, not golf, tennis does require a level of athleticism and coordination that you get from just playing any sports, really, like the quick movements, those kind of muscles. Golf is like technique, and obviously there are certain muscles that you, you definitely work on in golf. Um, so Tiger Woods, is a, that's almost like a tragic story of, you know, yeah, dedicating your whole life to this one thing. Uh, so I would definitely choose Roger Federer's path in that case, even if I didn't win championships, <laughs> you know, it just sounds like a better path to be on. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So Dr. J, Julius Irving, recently picked his first all-time first team and second team. And I also want to mention that he's recently men- like been kind of like harping on how he hates super teams, which... It's on brand for him. You know, he never really had a super team. He had, uh, like, one solid player join him, but he never had, like, a super team. So Dr. J's first team was made up of Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Bill Russell, and Wilt Chamberlain, who are five guys, if you ask anyone, are, like, all-timers for sure. Second team is Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Carl Malone, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And so notable names not on that list would be Co- uh, like Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, Kobe, Shaq, LeBron. Kobe, yeah. LeBron, Kevin Durant. So here's He's, the thing with, with these lists, though. Like, when I'm looking at them right in front of me, it's very obvious. These are two era-based teams. Like, Dr. J clearly had an affinity for old guys, like the older players that kind of started the league's popularity. And then he went to the 80s, 90s era, which is where he kind of fit in between, right? He was kind of in between Will Chamberlain and like Magic Johnson. He fit in that decade between them. 
So it makes sense for Dr. J to think like this, in my opinion. Like, you always want to think the guys you played with are the best. You saw them, you played against them, you can measure them up. And if they pave the way for guys after, you kind of have to take some credit for that, right? The game wouldn't be what it was. You wouldn't be the player you are if we didn't pave the way for you. So I totally get why Dr. J would do that. And then he gave credit to who I'm sure he paid very close attention to as he was on his way out of the league. Um, And I think older players just have this disdain for the modern NBA because they feel it's soft. I think that's that's like a nagging uh, and, and, and and the super team element of it as well. Yeah. Like all, a lot yeah. of the guys that we mentioned, like came together later in their careers, even Kobe and Shaq, even though Kobe was a newer player, like it was it was pretty predestined for them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Kevin Durant is not on the list and Kevin Durant, like infamously made his super team in, in Golden State. Steph, Steph Curry is not there. LeBron obviously was probably the biggest snub simply you think because of what he did in Miami. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious where he was like going through all these guys and he's like, you know, I know these guys currently are great. I know LeBron's like one of the best to ever do it, but I just don't want to give him the love for this reason. So here's my thing that actually goes back to what we talked about in the all-star part of the year. Whenever you say someone got snubbed, you have to say who you would take off. So on these lists, I'm going to just ignore his first team all entirely because that's just that's clearly old players. He wasn't going to put LeBron on a team with Oscar Robertson and Jerry West like he wasn't going to do it. So if you've got Magic, Jordan, Bird, Malone and Kareem, the obvious choice to take off because of the positions they play is Larry Bird. Now, I think people are pretty okay with saying LeBron's better than Larry Bird. But I don't have any problem with Dr. J in that case not making that swap. Like, Larry Bird is Larry Bird. He's still an all-time great. And if there is this other thing that Dr. J has against super teams, then it does make sense. What about LeBron over Carl Malone? Like, that's that's a yeah. pretty easy pick. You, you could do that. And then... I'd- there's two things is the position doesn't quite match because Malone, if you want to get really specific, plays a power forward where LeBron's a small forward. But then again, I think this is why if someone asked. Dr. Isn't it J more like clarify, the all-star game though, where it's just like front court, back court. It could be. I mean, I'm, I'm not Dr. J. I don't know what he was thinking mm. when he, I don't know if someone gave him specific criteria to pick these guys or if he just went off the top of his head. But yeah. Carl Malone, when you think of Carl Malone, you think this guy for what he did as tough as a match he gave Jordan. Like, he just had John Stockton and, like, John Havlicek. But, like, name other players on those Jazz teams versus LeBron, who played alongside, you know, his friends that he recruited. And, you know, it that it does make a difference. You're right. You're right. Now, I the think only it's thing also, I, also the longevity, maybe, because, I mean, yes, LeBron yeah. has played a long time, but Karl Malone played until he was, like, 40, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, Malone is still ahead of. LeBron on the points list, I believe, at this point. Um, So the last thing I would like to address, though, with this whole topic is the exact quote that Dr. J said. He said, he's the guy who has led the charge in terms of super teams being put together. Now, I 100% acknowledge that LeBron has been part of super teams, but he's not the one who led the charge. He responded to the Celtic super team 
And then from there, he kind of just like he elevated it. Like I'll say he elevated the charge, but he wasn't the one that led it. It was not only a response to the Celtics, but also, and, and it was an organic one, but you would have to say that the Spurs had a, a super team. Even if it was, like, all developed organically through, like, drafting, Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili were a big three. Yeah. And they needed to compete with not only the Celtics, but also them as well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I just know that, like, the Celtics were the ones who really made everyone else elevate. They're, they're what made Kobe want to get Chris Paul, and the league blocked it because the league was just like, no, enough's enough. But then because of free agency, they couldn't block what the Heat wanted to do. So the Celtics made the Lakers elevate. They made LeBron elevate. And then LeBron elevating made the Warriors elevate. Like, it's just been a whole mess. And yeah, I think Dr. Dre is even throwing in some more here. Like, he says, put together a team in Miami. He put together a team in Cleveland as well and put together a team in L.A. So LeBron did it three times. There's no other player who did it three times. And I think that's a big asterisk yeah. for Dr. J. Like, if he did it once in, in Miami and he stayed in Miami for the rest of his career, we might be thinking of this differently. But he did it three times. Yeah. So. You're right. You're right. And he'll probably do it a fourth. Uh, because, I mean, yeah. why not? <laughs> he'll get his son. <laughs> yeah. As a, a, his fourth super team. Some random guy in the league who's fed up on his, like, small market team will go to L.A. or whatever. It'll be another team. All right. Well, I mean, I don't blame Dr. J for having the, the feelings he has. I, I think it's fine. Um, but not having LeBron on any sort of all whatever is just wrong at this point. Yeah, agreed. I would put him on my team, and I'm a, a, a yeah, known I'm, LeBron hater. Yeah, I'm a huge LeBron hater, and he's, <laughs> like, the best player in the league. So you just we can't don't, deny that. Rick would, Rick would be on the complete opposite side of this. Rick would be... Bouncing off the walls, mad at Dr. J right now. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> so in other news in the world right now, as we're speaking, the NBA, uh, the NFL draft is happening, the first night of the NFL draft. And a couple hours ago, Aaron Rodgers, no, no, like news comes out about quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, having beef with the team. There was already like rumor that he had beef with the team last year because they drafted a quarterback, and it was like, what? He's not even done yet. And now it comes out, very good timing, comes out today that he's very upset with the Packers and he's probably looking to move from them. And there was these hilarious memes about how the Nets might pick up Rodgers now too. Uh, Just want to ask, what do you think he would look like on a basketball court, Mike? He would be uh, another MVP, finals MVP for this Nets team. Uh, Oh, wow. Probably a great point guard setting up the offense and calling out the plays. Probably not a great defender, a little undersized, um, but would I take him? Of course. We could always add more more guys yeah. to this team. Give him a 10-day contract. He'd be scrappy. I mean, look, dude knows how to pass. He Maybe he'd be like Blake out there, throwing himself around, like getting getting people riled up. You know, Rodgers is famously known for, like, having a very unique way of trash talking in the pocket. Mm-hmm. He gets like teams like really pissed, and he makes them embarrassed. Like he he has this way of embarrassing you without you even realizing like how embarrassed you were at the moment. Like, but you think about it later, and you're like, oh, that was really embarrassing what he said. And obviously, he's one of the best football players uh, in the league. I can see him being great on this Nets team. 
Yeah, and he's six two. Like he's not a small guy. He's probably he's as tall as Kyrie Irving. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Wow, he's only that tall. He looks so much taller in. in yeah, in the I thought he'd be taller, but six two. Yeah, I guess the helmet adds some inches. True. So, Michael, since it's just you and I, I'm going to be quizzing you. I'm testing your knowledge of what you know of the season leaders of this NBA season. I'm going to ask you things like who is leading in field goal percentage, who's leading free throw percentage, three-pointers made, uh, rebounds per game, assists per game, steals per game, blocks per game, and maybe some others if I can find them as well. Now, All right, over, over, under, how many do I get correct? Two and so a there's half. Like, I think there's like <laughs> – of the 10 I might ask you, I think you're going to get, like, three. I think you All get right. three. All right. So you're taking the over on two and a half. Yeah. And there's also what a Zach couple... will take. Zach will take the under. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I'm going to say over two and a half, yeah. All right. So we'll start. Obviously, you know field goal percentage. The leader in field goal percentage right now is... DeAndre Jordan. You are probably correct. Doesn't... I am correct. Let's go. <laughs> I DeAndre, thought he might not qualify, but he, okay, cool. DeAndre Jordan is – and he, okay, so the qualifications I have here for myself that I created was that you had to have played at least 40 games, and you have to have played at least 20 minutes a game. Now, if we want to be more realistic and actually pick a starter, someone who plays at least 30 minutes a game, who do you think it is? Guy who plays 30 minutes a game um, – Hmm, that's actually really tough. Uh, would Andre Drummond qualify? I mean, he would, but he's it's it's, it's not, not him. him. Okay. No, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to guess. Oh, come on, it's such an easy one, dude. Like if you just think of like a little oh, harder, like Zion. Another, no, it's not uh, Zion. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't do it. Uh, no, it's it's Rudy Gobert. Oh, uh, okay, that makes sense. Plays 31 minutes a game. His field goal percentage is 67.7%. Yeah, he's basically DeAndre Jordan with, like, a little bit of talent. A little bit? Oh, <laughs> now that's debatable. He's going to probably win Defensive Player of the Year again. I mean, as much as, uh, yeah. what's his name, uh, Ben Simmons is trying to talk that into existence, uh, I yeah. don't see that happening. <laughs> yeah. All right, now we're moving on to free throw percentage. So, again, you can tell me who you think is the... Okay. Overall leader. Now, I'm not counting the people who have played five games and made like six free throws and have a yeah. thousand or a thousand percent free throw. Percentage. Okay. Does, I want you to give me a minimum of half the games played. I oh, will do 40 games played, and they have to have played at least 30 minutes a game. Okay, so Tony Snell does not qualify because I believe he's 100. No. percent Okay. Current. No, currently, like, of the people who are not a thousand and have yeah. played at least 40 games. Okay. I'm uh, gonna... jo- okay. Well, actually, I, shit, I didn't even realize he played this many games. Oh my god, how many has he shot though? So you know what? Uh, Snell. <laughs> no, Niang. He's on the uh, George's Niang. He's like a small forward. He's a thousand right now. But I don't know. He says he is, is, he's played 62 games, but he only gets 14 minutes a game, so that doesn't count. All right. Um, I'm gonna say, uh, Dame Willard. No, not Dame. I'll give Steph. you two more guesses. Steph. It's not Steph either. Oh, it's not Steph. Oh, man. Uh, 30, 
Minimum of 30 minutes a game and half the games played in the season. Dame Lillard is 33rd. Steph is 39. Oh, wow. They're real low. Well, uh, that's not including that, yeah, okay. the 25 that have hit, like, okay. five free throws and they yeah, didn't yeah. miss any. Uh, Chris Middleton. No. Damn. Who is it? The answer is at 93.1%. He has played 61 games. He gets 31.8 minutes a game. It's your boy, Chris Paul. Ah, oh, damn. I didn't even <laughs> think of him. I hate Chris Paul. <laughs> so Play the sound effect. <laughs> uh, all right. So if we're just doing like half the season at least, Jeremy Lamb has played 36 games. He only plays 21 minutes a game, but he is a 94.7. So good for Jeremy Lamb. Yeah. It, career year. What team uh, is he on? <laughs> he was on the, he's on the Pacers. At least I thought he was on the oh, Pacers. okay. I don't know if he's playing currently. Right. Now let's move on to three-pointers made. So this is three-pointers per game. Three-pointers per game? I mean, I would, I would say Steph. Right. It is Steph. 5.1 a game. Do you want to guess two and three? Um, I think number two is my buddy. You're right. It is Buddy yeah. Hill. There's four a game, but he's tied with number three. It's actually a tie for second. Ooh. This is actually a list I saw, like, maybe a week ago. That's that's how I knew Buddy was up there. Um, it's not Joe Harris, I don't think. No. Um, Unfortunately, Joe Harris is 13th on this list at 3.1. No, I, I really... I don't have a good guess for this, so I'm going to just take a random one, and I'm going to say Dame. You're right. It's Dame. Oh, wow. Dame okay. is tied. Four threes a game with Buddy Heald. His teammate, CJ McCollum, 3.7 threes a game at fourth. Uh-huh. And then out of, straight out of left field, Malik Beasley, three and a half threes a game. Wow. Five. All right. So now, rebounds per game. Rebounds per game, I think, is Capella. It is Capella. Nice. 14.6. So that's two you got there, Mike. Let's go. <laughs> Wait, did we count field goal percentage, too? No, you, I'm not going to count DeAndre Jordan. Oh, okay. That field was only goals. because I know he doesn't miss, but he doesn't play. He's not. Even, he hasn't even played, like, in weeks. Okay. So, All right, no. so you're right about Capella. 14.6 okay, cool. rebounds a game. You want to nice. guess two, two and three just for fun? Gobert. Gobert's two. And if... Does Drummond qualify? Yep, Drummond's three. You just got right. it. Bing, bang, bong. <laughs> nice. 14.6 for Capella, 13.4 for Rudy Gobert. Drummond's got 12.6. And my fantasy boy, Jonas Valanciunas, is fourth with 12.2. All right, assists per game. So you've got two so far, Mike. Doing All right, well. so, so this is for the over. This is for the over. Who's got All the right. most assists per game? Oh, come on, man. This should be very easy. It is. I'm over. Th- I'm overthinking it. I know who it is, and I just the name's gonna escape me. Is it James Harden? Dude, he's second. Oh no! <laughs> who has passed James Harden? He's uh, up. He's a, he's beaten James Harden by 0.1 assist, and it's because of the fact that James Harden hasn't played in like a is month. Is it is it Russ? It is Russ. Uh, I miss. Uh, it doesn't count. I don't get that point. I got it wrong. Oh. Russ has wow. 11 assists per game. James Harden, 10.9. Because Westbrook's just been on a absolute tear, and I forgot. Yeah. I should have known. Damn. It is Westbrook. 
Okay, steals per game. Now, oh, this is interesting. I have okay. a guess. And I'm, I'm going to make it my official guess. Uh, All right. Drew Holiday. You are very close. Drew Holiday is third. Ah, uh, damn. Um, okay. This won't count if I get it right, but I'm going to take one more guess. And uh, I actually don't have a good guess for this. I'm going to say, like, John Morant. No, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is ace. John uh, Morant's not even in the top ten. Okay. Who is it? Jimmy Butler. 2.1 uh, steals per game. And he's you know played who's enough second? games to, to qualify in your in your. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's played four, 46 games. Okay. Now, it's second because he's only played one game, but in the game he had two steals. Charlie Brown. <laughs> Who the hell is that? Charlie Brown Jr. He played for OKC. He played one game. He played 12 minutes. In 12 minutes, he had two steals. Oh, wow. So that's like a high percentage for sure. Where is um, where's TJ McConnell on this list? He is tied for fourth with Larry okay. Nance Jr. and Kawhi and Fred Van Vliet. Okay. They each have 1.7 steal a game. But of those four... TJ has played the most games. Okay. All right. Now, moving on to blocks per game. Mike, you still got two. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping you can get that three, because I, I bet my house on it. <laughs> oh, man. Blocks per game. Does Miles Turner qualify? It's got to be Miles Turner. You did it. <laughs> yes. You got three. Miles Turner, 3.4. He yeah. has played 47 games. He... Is the leader again, though, man? Rudy Gobert, two with 2.8. Yeah, yeah, he's just like the quietest defensive player of the year ever. He's gonna win it again. He's in the yeah. top three of all of the defensive stats. All right, so now, now we're getting to more embarrassing stats here <laughs> turnovers per game. Um, I'm gonna say the Joker. Jokic. No, it's not the Joker. Uh, is he up there, though? Joker is... No, he's not that high up. He's tied uh, 17th with Ben Simmons, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker. All right, I'm only going to take one more guess because there's so many guys I could guess. Um, and it's only because he was on my fantasy team and I saw how many turnovers he gets. I'm going to say Trey Young. No, it is Russ. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Also, just want to mention that uh, the Nets were apparently yeah. going to win this game by 20, and now they're only winning by seven with six yeah. minutes left. So yeah. uh, we might uh, might not be good. Now, yes, Russ Westbrook, five turnovers a game. Wow, that's a lot. Second place, Luka Doncic with 4.3. Yeah, I thought of him, and I just didn't say it. Trey, Trey Young is third. Uh, I mean, I'm not counting the guy who's in first, technically, because this is dude, Ansej Pasinic for Washington. He played one game and had five turnovers in one game. Like, Yikes. Jesus. And then he got cut. <laughs> and he got cut. All right. Points per game. We already know that it's Bradley Beal at 31.3. But do you want to guess who uh, – you want to guess where Steph Curry lies, what, what his points per game is? Like what his actual number is? Yeah, because he's in second. Yeah. Yeah. And Bradley I, Beal is at 31.3. I think he's only a point one below. I think he's 31.2. He is 31.2. Yeah. The yeah. other day, Bradley Beal had like 40 points, and it like boosted him. That's crazy. 
And uh, I know MB doesn't really qualify in the official like NBA stuff, but he's third, I think, if you actually like look at his number. Yeah, he is third. Yeah. Uh, he's third. Uh, do you want to guess four and five? No, it's there's too many guys to to guess. Doncic twenty eight point six four and Giannis twenty eight point five. Okay. So yeah, Mike, you got what? Three? I got three. I got oh, three. Let's go. I did. I got let's the over. <laughs> go. All right, Michael. Good job today. Well, I guess that's it for our pod. Hopefully we uh, hopefully you guys listen to this pod and the Nets have won tonight, but it looks like they're kind of throwing the game away. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about everything going on in the league. We'll probably have a lot more teams clinched by next week. We're going to know more seeding by next week. The Nets play tomorrow, I believe, against Portland, who yeah. desperately needs wins right now. Yeah, oh. they have their back. They have their back-to-backs against Milwaukee Sunday and Tuesday coming up. So those are going to be important games. We're definitely going to be talking about those on the next pod. Uh, all right, thanks so much for listening. Hope you have a great Friday and a great weekend. This was the best is that to come.